Welcome to Awesome Movie Year, the podcast where we take a look back at an awesome year for movies, which is every year. My name is Josh Bell, film critic and writer, and I'm here with my co-host. I'm Jason Harris, filmmaker, comedian, and eh, fuck you for making me watch this, Josh. <laughs> okay. Well, first of all, this is a collaborative process here on Awesome Movie Year to choose our films. <laughs> And I am no advocate of this film, as we'll uh, as we'll get into. No, but... you're right. Pulling back the curtain a little, we always, you know, kind of come up with a number as we do in our epilogue every season, a number of different films that fit each category. And knowing that this was on the list of like box office bomb, I was like, hey, I could argue that The Insider was not a box office bomb. And that movie's great. And I'd rather watch that again than see this for the first time. But uh, you won out, Josh. You personally... You and your campaign for Wild Wild West has won out. I mean, I think when we're going to talk about a bomb, let's talk about one of the most notorious bombs of all. It's fair. You you made a fair argument, and I just gave you a fair fuck you. That's all it. Right. <laughs> well, uh, again, we're talking mm -hmm. about the films of 1999 this season, and this is our box office flop episode. So we talked about a few different options, including some films like The Insider that are generally well regarded but didn't really do yeah. as well the at the Iron box Giant. office. You know, as, that uh, been, yeah, been a good one. That we might we might uh, get a little more into the Iron Giant in this episode, but yeah, um, because this movie effed it, like it, it effed me by watching it. It, it did, <laughs> it did. But I I really felt like we couldn't go through 1999 and have a box office flop episode and not talk about Wild Wild West. Which, again, is one of the most notorious flops. Just like we when we talked about Geely. Did you, were you excited to watch Geely? No. Here's the thing with, you know, since we're kind of already off our normal course <laughs> here. The thing is with Wild Wild West, like, yes, on the one hand, it was the most expensive movie ever made at the time, right? But on the other hand, I, it's a flop, but it made its money back overall. I mean, in in terms of the raw budget... Yes, you can look at those numbers. It was uh, officially budgeted at 170 million, which, as you say, was at the time the most expensive movie ever made. Uh, it eventually grossed worldwide 222 million. And so, yeah, that's more than its budget. But a film like this, it's got to be, you know, close to 100 million dollars in marketing costs. Sure. It and was considered a huge failure. Right. Um, but I mean, I think part of that is that when you put 170 million, dollars into something you think like oh it's gonna be um you know a, an avengers style return on it right but i i agree with you it it was a, a failure and it is still a failure i mean i do <laughs> think it made its money back because of obviously cable rights ancillary uh, yeah revenue streams rentals all that stuff like this was still like i think a lot of people probably were like well, it can't be that bad blockbuster. Let's see. And they're like, no, it's that bad blockbuster. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the case for a lot of the movies that we've talked about in this category, that over time, they do eventually recoup their money, in part because if you achieve that sort of notorious reputation, you know, good or bad, uh, people are curious and they'll look at it and it'll eventually over time you, reach an Do you audience. have a favorite box office bomb that we've covered? I guess mine would be Streets of Fire, 84. Yeah, Streets of Fire was was pretty... I, I really like the adventures of Baron Munchausen um, that we talked about, which I know you weren't a fan of. I, I, I liked it better than this. <laughs> well, that's not a really high bar to hit, <laughs> Dave, you I don't it. think. 
I mean, not a favorite per se, but I was happy to finally watch Geely after all these years. Oh yeah, so. cross it off your list there. Yeah. yeah, I think I think Dave, unlike you and I, Jason has no affinity for like the enjoyment of bad movies. Yeah. No, yeah. I well, I love the room. All right, fair right? enough. Yeah. yeah, it's not that I don't like bad movies. It's just that like I don't like bad movies with very little to redeem them as bad movies. Right? You know? Yeah. Like Cemetery Man. When we covered Cemetery Man all the way back in our first season. By the way, this is fun reminiscing about all that. <laughs> that movie's just wild and out of control and like doesn't make any sense. And I was all in on that, you know. But this, I just, you know, with this much talent attached to it and this much money attached to it to come out with this, like, shame on all of them, Josh. I agree. And I think I have some enjoyment watching movies like The Room, where it's like it's fascinatingly bad, but there's it's just so crazy that that you're drawn into it. But I think also a movie like this that's just straight bad and you wonder like what went wrong. It is kind of fascinating to watch and to just think about all the talent, like you just said, all the money that went into it and all the many, many ways that it failed. So I I am happy to have seen this movie, to have uh, experienced that and be able to kind of uh, discuss it. But. I would have rather watched The Insider or The Iron Giant again. And and those are great movies. And if you haven't seen those, check them out. Yeah. No, it's all fair. It's a box office bomb. It's garbage. Spoiler alert. It's called Wild Wild West and we hate it. I hated it. And, and I'm just putting it out there. Now let's get the episode up and running. All right. Awesome Jason movie here. Jason did hate <laughs> this. And Jason is far from the only person who hated this movie. Uh, not only did it fail at the box office, It was nominated for nine Razzies, and we've talked about the questionable nature of the Razzies, but certainly, if nothing else, the Razzies are a mark of a pop culture sense that a movie is bad. Um, It won five of those Razzies, including Worst Picture, Worst Director for Barry Sonnenfeld, Worst Screenplay, Worst Screen Couple for our stars Will Smith and Kevin Kline, and Worst Original Song for Will Smith's theme song, which is one of the only things about this movie that's not terrible. Nope, you're wrong. It is terrible. Okay. <laughs> it's a song that made Cisco a star. How are you going to defend that? I Come on, you, you, you don't get a little uh, uh, campy enjoyment from the thong song? Yes, the thong song I get a little campy enjoy- enjoyment from. Wild Wild West as a number one song? No thanks. It, it's it's totally stupid, but catch. I feel like the Wild Wild West song is what you would want the movie to be, which is it's totally stupid and ridiculous, but kind of fun. If that song is bad, then why have I been singing it all week? That's exactly right. (laughs) (laughs) I do like the Cool Modi original Wild Wild West that he sampled. And I don't, you know, the Stevie Wonder stuff they sample is good, but like, it's just, oh man, you know, when you hear a song and you're like, yeah, there was a lot of crap during that specific time period. Like this, you know, we just, I just watched the Woodstock 99 documentary. Just put this right next to the Limp Biscuit set and you're like, there Man, you go. You are really harsh on this. So uh, also was nominated at the Razzies for Kevin Klein for Worst Actor, uh, Kenneth Branagh for Worst Supporting Actor, Salma Hayek for Worst Supporting Actress. And in one of the dumb gimmick things that the Razzies always do, Kevin Klein in a dress was also nominated for Worst Supporting Actress. And here's two things I, I want to mention about the Razzies. One if I'm not mistaken, Robert Conrad, the star of the original Wild Wild West, the TV show, yeah. accepted all those awards <laughs> on the movie's nice. behalf because he hated this movie and he said <laughs> it was going to be horrible and it didn't represent the original show. And two, 
who could have beaten Kenneth Branagh? Dave, can you look up? Who oh, I forget. Yeah, like, he is. I love Kenneth Branagh. Like overall, dude, I remember seeing his four hour Hamlet in the theater and like being blown away with him as a director and a performer. And like, I think that goes throughout his career. This is one of the worst performances I've seen on film ever. I mean, it certainly is is a very, very, very bad performance. But I think, and maybe we'll get to this in the legacy, that as as great as Kenneth Branagh can be as a director and as like a Shakespearean actor, he 100% has this penchant for like over-the-top hamminess in these kinds of movies, and he's done it in other movies. I'll tell you who beat him. Ahmad Best as Jar Jar Binks. Uh, yeah, Wars. there you go. That's the only, literally the only person in film history that could have beaten him. Beat him. That's amazing. The one year that he should have got it, they found the the one worst person to do it. So, so despite the movie not being a success, and despite Jason hating the song, the song was a success, uh, including hitting number one on the Billboard Hot 100. I remember I was depressed in this, uh, not, not when reading this, but at this time in my life, I mean, you know, I was going through some depression and I, because of wild, wild west, not just wild, wild west. I think the overall landscape of mainstream music added to my depression. Cause if you remember, it was like this stuff, like that new metal stuff and like all that horrible boy band. And, you know, what would you call like Christina Aguilera, Britney Spears? A lot of that music is great. It is. You're all, you're all, wait, okay, okay. What, what are you defending? Are you defending new metal? Um, I personally like some new metal. I mean, I'm not going to defend Limp Biscuit, but I mean, bands like the Deftones and Slipknot, I think are great and are two of my favorites. Um, and I love a lot of that pop music from that era. Those Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera singles are fantastic. I remember that you do love that stuff because I, just recently when we covered uh, the Bob Dylan documentary and you kept bringing up Taylor Swift, I was like, this guy. And Taylor <laughs> Swift is not from the 90s. I know. And but yeah. I don't dislike, like if those were just like, you know, one aspect. You're saying of, that it created your depression. Yeah, it definitely <laughs> did. If that was just one aspect and we had like those girl groups uh, or I don't, they're not girl groups. What, what am I guess? Teen princess, teen, pop, teen, teen right? pop. Yeah, it was yeah. teen pop along yeah. with the boy bands yeah, like NSYNC the, and Backstreet Boys. And that stuff was who, just who also had some really good garbage. songs that have endured oh, since horrible. then. Classics. Yeah. Just truly awful music. <laughs> um, but if it was just like, Christina and Brittany and Jessica Simpson. And then like we had good music. I'd be like, yeah, that's fine. You guys can chill over here and keep, but it was just like a, an amalgamation of like, <laughs> it was just like a horrible. And like, Carson Daly is rolling over in his grave to hear you say this. <laughs> yeah. Do you think he, I mean, you know, he's got a lot of money, but do you yes. think he looks back and he's like, I think even he looks back and he was like, I was part of the dregs of society. I don't think so. I really don't <laughs> think so. It, was, it might have been the worst time in our life for music. Wow. Okay. Well, uh, <laughs> as, you, as you said, this was based also on the original TV series, The Wild Wild West, which ran from 1965 to 1969 and was quite successful and was only taken off the air because people protested that it was too violent. And there were all these parent groups at the time and congressional committees. And this was the, one of the prime examples of violence on television. And so it ended up getting canceled, but it was huge in syndication. It was revived for two TV movies in 1979 and 1980. So certainly one of the reasons I would imagine that there was an interest in making a movie based on it. Uh, I starred Robert Conrad as James West, the Will Smith character here, and Ross Martin as Artemis Gordon, the character that Kevin Klein plays here. 
and Michael Dunn as Dr. Loveless, who in the show was a sort of recurring villain uh, who appeared in 10 episodes over the course of the series. Uh, that's the Kenneth Branagh character here. And I actually watched a couple of episodes of the show. I'm excited that you watched it. I bet it's better than the movie. It is better than the movie, but it's not. I mean, I only I watched the first episode and then I watched the first episode with Dr. Loveless just to kind of get a quick sense of it. And watching it, it was like, this is very silly. And then I watched the movie and it was like, oh, well, that's on a whole other level. Like the, mm. the series seems like some serious uh, Oscar, you know, or Emmy worthy like drama Kenneth or whatever. Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet? Yeah, exactly. Kenneth Branagh's Wild Wild it West. It is. The, the Wild Wild West <laughs> is like Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet compared to this movie. So I have a question about that because yeah. Loveless in this film is a... Um, ha he's got half a body, right? Yes. And he's got... Um, you know, mechanical, he's just a mechanical droid human, I guess. <laughs> I mean, he's basically just in what is the equivalent of a wheelchair. You know, it's it's his weird steampunky thing, but it, it moves him around. Okay, fair enough. Um, but I, it's a little more than that because it's not just a wheelchair. It does have the well, ability yeah, to like uh, mobilize and yeah. use like kind right. of arms and legs. You know? Yeah. But it's a mechanical contraption that yeah. he operates. It's like if it's like if RoboCop had a wheelchair or something like that, but I, that would kind of defeat the purpose. Yeah. Of no, I mean, I think the right. point is that with RoboCop, it's like part of him and yeah. here it's just like something that he's like been plumped into. But I feel like this is now part of him. Like we never mm, see him without it. Yeah, so maybe. Like, well, uh, I guess we really didn't get into the, the <laughs> nuts and bolts, yeah. so to speak of how that thing works. Boom, Josh. Yeah. The but so Tell us about Arliss Howard. Uh, Arliss, Arliss Howard. Arliss Howard is not in this yeah. movie. <laughs> what about Robert Wool as Arliss? Is he in this movie? No. Tell us about Arliss Loveless on the show, because it was not like that. No, no. And his name is actually not Arliss. His name is uh, Dr. Miguelito Loveless. Yes. And he is uh, played by Michael Dunn. He's a little person. Yeah. So he walks around. He does not have a weird mechanical wheelchair or however we want to call it and he is not uh, a confederate who wants to uh, undo the civil war what i found kind of amusing is that both him and the villain in the first episode so both episodes that i watched the villain's plans involve the fact that their ancestral land was taken by the united states and now they want to take it back and i'm like I'm kind of on their side. Yeah. And Jim yeah. West, of course, and, and Artemis Gordon, they work for the U.S. government. They're like, we're not going to let you do that and take this away from the good old USA. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know. I feel like they have a point here, maybe. Still still relevant today. Yeah. So, of course, then they become megalomaniacal and like the way that they want to get their land back is by uh, Loveless is going to set off a bomb that kills 5,000 wow. people. And He's a minority in a 60s television show. He can't have a good point without being a bad guy about it. Right, so. right. But he is a genius. I mean, that's something... Uh, there's a, a ridiculous scene in the episode where they introduce Loveless, where he takes Jim West back to his laboratory. And of course, this takes place in like 1869 or whatever it is. And he's like, let me show you all my inventions. And he, he's invented like the car yes. and antibiotics Amazing. and the airplane and television. And Jim West is like, I don't know. Uh, so you, you know what sounds good about this is it sounds like they played him as a legitimate villain and not like, oh, we're going to just make fun of a little person. Right. No, they don't make fun of him as a little person. I mean, he has a, a large 
uh, assistant played by uh, Richard Keel, who people know as Jaws from the James Bond yeah. movies. And, and, uh, and Happy Gilmore. There you go. Mm-hmm. So he's obviously a very large man. And yeah. so there's that contrast. But I like that. That's kind of cool. Like you're showing a physical contrast, but you're not you know, uh, poking fun at either physical, you know, there's still real characters here. That's nice that, especially back in that time period that they did that. Right. That's true. And his appearance in that one episode was so well received that they had him come back over and over and over again. He, I think other than the two main characters is the character who appeared the most on that show. So yeah, it's totally silly. I'm not saying I would necessarily recommend watching the wild, wild west, but yeah, compared to the movie. Kudos to you for watching it. Um, I still don't forgive you for making me watch this. Go on. All right. So, and then the other background thing I wanted to quickly get in here before we get to the reviews is uh, John Peters, the producer. I don't know if you uh, read up on his obsession with giant spiders. I did. I did read this, but please do tell. Uh, so according, John Peters is a producer of this film. Very famous. And, and very famous kind of crazy Hollywood weirdo. Uh, and according to Kevin Smith, when John Peters owned the rights to Superman and was trying to make a Superman movie and had hired Kevin Smith to write this movie that Tim Burton was supposed to direct, he insisted that the climax of this movie must include a giant mechanical spider. And uh, that never happened. And then later on, Neil Gaiman also claimed that when John Peters was supposed to be producing a movie of Sandman, the Neil Gaiman comic, he also demanded a giant spider in that movie. I'm glad that he got it. And this is what turned out. Like, <laughs> yeah. Be careful know. what you wish right. for. It's like, you know, now he can't be like, see, fellas, I told you, <laughs> you know, and they're like, yep, you got your spider, John. Now get out of our face. So critics did not like this movie, obviously, nor did audiences. It got a C plus from cinema score, the audience polling service. Too kind. Which is, yeah, but I mean, again, the thing about CinemaScore is they're only polling the people who were most excited yeah. to see the movie. Hey, I can't wait to go see Wild Wild West. <laughs> right, exactly. And West then they didn't like cowboy. it. <laughs> um, that's, a, that's a great impression of an idiot who went to see Wild Wild West on well, opening this, night. The, the West was really wild back in the day, huh? <laughs> yeah, Kevin, hey, did you see Kevin Klein? I didn't even realize that was him dressed as a woman. <laughs> yeah. It got uh, two thumbs down from Roger Ebert and uh, his guest critic of the episode, Wesley Morris. Um, And Roger Ebert, in his review, said, Wild Wild West is a comedy dead zone. You stare in disbelief as scenes flop and die. The movie is all concept and no content. The elaborate special effects are like watching money burn on the screen. You know something has gone wrong when a story is about two heroes in the Old West and the last shot is of a mechanical spider riding off into the sunset. Will Smith and Kevin Klein have so little chemistry they seem to be acting in front of rear projections of each other. They go through the motions, but there's no eye contact. There are moments when all artifice fails and you realize you are regarding desperate actors trapped on the screen, fully aware they've been left hanging out to dry. Yep. But I do wonder, uh, related to the last thing, like, I don't know that that's true. I feel like Kevin Klein and Will Smith are 100% committed to this crap. Well, it's interesting because, you know, it was developed before and like Will Smith was like the third leading man and Kevin Klein was about the second, second lead that they had. But I, I definitely felt like Will Smith was you know, we covered Independence Day and like he's really popping those punchlines and like you could see how the enthusiasm. I didn't get any enthusiasm from here. It was maybe he was playing it too cool or maybe he was just checked out. But it was a lot of like, you know, 
yeah, just really bad puns. And like, you know, there was the knife guy and he said something like knife, knife to see you or something like that. <laughs> it's right? like the notorious uh, Schwarzenegger puns yeah, from Batman and Rock. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. But it was, there was one like that. It was like, <laughs> yeah, no, it was knife the knife thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Knife, knife to see you. No more Mr. Knife guy. That was it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Even then worse. The audience was like, no, more Mr. Knife guy. That That's not good. And I love puns. You know, um, so I don't know. I, I, yeah, maybe they were committed, but uh, maybe they should have been committed oh, to an insane asylum oh, oh. for signing on to this project. Wow, Wild Wild West was not the Wild Wild Best. Gene Shallot here all week, everybody. <laughs> I, I think to that point, um, I think you're right that Will Smith is it maybe, was a wild, wild mess. Yeah. The wild, mm. wild worst. I think that was ah. actually, a, I think that was actually a headline on one of the reviews. I looked yeah. at, I think you're right that Will Smith is maybe trying to sort of play it cool that that's what he thinks is this character. And so it's not that he's checked out. It's that he's doing what he thinks is the right thing for the character. Yeah. So maybe that's, it. I, I, I just, I feel like they were all in on this idiotic nonsense, whether they realized it was going to, fail or not they're giving it their all yeah definitely i'm not saying like hey kenneth Branagh, you're not trying i'm just saying <laughs> kenneth Branagh's trying way hey, too kenneth much Branagh, why are you trying like that <laughs> you know kevin klein is the most subtle of those three and i think if you watch that performance you wouldn't be like hey that's pretty subtle kevin klein no no it's not um so uh janet maslin in the new york times said, Wild Wild West is hard to categorize, a quality not to be confused with originality. It begins on a James Bond note, despite its post-Civil War time period, then segues into contraption-heavy science fiction and ultimately a Godzilla-style battle with a mechanical monster. Into this same blender are thrown a maimed Confederate villain with Nazi stylistic flourishes, elaborately antiquated railroad scenes, and enough crafty, kitty-minded pratfalls to make one wonder whether the film really had to begin with a whorehouse sequence. All in all, <laughs> acid indigestion for the soul. She's right, man. I, totally, this was just such a misstep here, right? Like, yes. They were like, let's split the difference so we can get every audience, and instead they split the difference and got zero audience liking it, right? Like, go R or go PG. This PG-13 like totally did not work here completely the opposite of what like an Indiana Jones does. Right. Well, and I think that's Indiana Jones is what they're aiming for. Really? Yes, I agree. And, and, and failing, but yes, I was really taken aback, especially in that beginning scene that, that in fact does take place in a whorehouse with Kevin Klein uh, in his Razzie winning performance as a uh, undercover no, Razzie nominated as, Oh, that's action. true. You're right. Razzie nominated. He did not win that one as the uh, undercover agent posing as a prostitute. Yeah. And I just thought, what, what are they doing here? Because it's not even just like, oh, this is vulgar and inappropriate for the kids that they want to bring in. It's, it's completely, uh, it's just a failure as that, you know, it's not funny. It's, it's inappropriate and uncomfortable and mildly homophobic throughout and just nothing about it works. Well, yeah, it's, you know, uh, uh, a quote unquote play on the classic, <laughs> like, you know, old West bar fight scene. Right. right. And it just, and there's so much, uh, exposition in there. Like, Hey, I'm not really a lady. I'm here to save the day. Well, I'm here to save the day, you know, but Josh, even before that, like the opening, opening scene, that's true is, in the hot tub. Yeah. Yes. And it's like, I tried to, I started watching this like with my daughter and I was like, 
whatever like <laughs> I, she sees two people in the hot tub like i could get through that and then like very quickly thereafter i was like nope this isn't happening but that scene had no relevance because like the review said like it does start off uh james bondy where like he's just you know i'm having sex with garcelle beauvais because i'm a leading man and this is what i can do and again no women have any actual content or character. Uh, yeah, no, the, the, yeah, the female characters are so poorly treated. Yeah, and um, it's just like, oh, he's Will Smith. He gets to have sex with a lady and have a heroic, you know, uh, kind of escape. And it's just like, why would I root for him at this point? If, it, you know, like you're not going far enough or you're going too far. Right, well, and and... Yes, they're trying to show him as like the suave ladies man. But on the other hand, there's this whole bit in that scene where he's distracted because he's trying to spy on the bad guy and also try to keep the lady satisfied. And there's this horrible comedic bit where he's like moving his mouth like he's still kissing her, but he's not. And it, first of all, no, no one would ever think that that was uh, convincing. But also it makes him seem like He's not actually into the ladies so much uh, that it's just like a cover. Or, I, I don't even know. That was where they went with this. Yeah. And him and Kevin Klein fell in love and like, you know, were the ambiguously gay duo of the uh, 1860s. Or yeah, something that this. would have been something. So I also did see some uh, user on Letterboxd claim that in that scene when the uh, the water tank like dumps out and Will Smith is is dumped out of it and he's naked that you can see his uh, whole uh package there but i did not notice I, that i didn't notice that did you dave i did not notice that but can i ask you guys a quick question before <laughs> we move on to the next review and i'm not trying to defend this movie let me just get that out here but is this that much different tonally than the men in black films because i feel like that's where it's going for well it absolutely is going for that barry sonnenfeld of course directed both of those i mean i it's been a little while since i saw those although not that long ago and i think Tonally, the idea that like the character has a romance or is suave and is, you know, attractive to the ladies or whatever is fine. But just the, the I don't know, the vulgarity and especially like the weird, like homoeroticism, homophobia hmm. of this movie. There, there's a lot of sex puns. Like, I yeah. Mean, and, you know, yeah, you're right. Like they're uh, in men in black movies right. as well. But, but but part of that is like they land in that. Right. right. Well, if that you, absolutely. You know, the jokes so, here do not land at yeah. all. Yeah. So, so, I mean, I guess if you're saying like, oh, like, you know, Men in Black was able to walk that line right. or something. Right? Exactly. Whereas like this would be like, you know, to use an example that is totally off base. Like what if Superbad was PG-13 and didn't go as far as it did and just made jokes that didn't work? Right. You know, it's like you have a PG. This is clearly a PG premise right here, I think. Right. And they're like, well, we'll bump it up to get more of an audience. And it's like, well, if you're going to go that far with the sexual innuendo, then I feel like they kind of had to go to the R side of it. I don't remember any uh, in Men in Black. It's been a very long time since I've seen it. But I don't remember like uh, any like as much skin in it, mm. you know? Yeah, there's definitely not that. I mean, yeah. you know, again, there's romantic chemistry, at least in the first one with him and uh, Linda Fiorentino's character. Sure. But I don't know. And I feel like if there are little puns or whatever, they're they're quick asides that a like younger audience, like if you were watching it with your daughter, she probably wouldn't, I don't know, maybe wouldn't get them or they just seem like silly jokes. These just like uh, the, the they said they didn't land. They just hung there. Right? Right, yeah. But also part of that's the chemistry. Tommy Lee Jones and Will Smith. Sure. Great chemistry. 
you know, Will Smith and Harry Connick Jr. in Independence, they had great, or Jeff Goldblum had great chemistry. These two guys, there was, I agree, there was, they, where were they acting together? Where were they acting on this one? Right. But, yeah. And part of that is like, I, you know, we all like Will Smith, but uh, I don't think, I think this is one of his worst performances. And, uh, you know, I don't think Kevin Klein was good, but I think it was like, a little better <laughs> yeah i don't think so they're all no yeah, one no one so. is doing a good job uh, here. kenneth Branagh was the worst of the yes, bunch yes so. <laughs> so i wanted to try to find something semi-positive which wasn't easy but uh noel murray in the nashville scene was more generous he said there's no denying that the picture is a mess but speaking as someone who finds the quote blockbuster rhythm to be generally stupefying there's some pleasure to be had in tuning in those rogue notes. Still, the pans are mostly justified. Female lead Salma Hayek is purposeless. The close-up fight scenes are too complicated to follow. And except for Branna's big, probably self-penned speeches, there's nothing snappy about the dialogue. What is worth praising is a level of visual invention and narrative spark that's rare for an expensive summer time waster. Between Smith's suave brutality, Klein's foggy romanticism, and Sonnenfeld's giddy contrasting of the Western landscape with steam-powered contraptions, Wild Wild West almost achieves an enjoyable style. So the best he can say is that it's almost enjoyable. And he's wrong on those points, though. <laughs> um, because, like, look, well, I think, like, we've trashed everyone. Let's save trashing Sonnenfeld till the next segment. Okay. You know? But, um... Yeah, man, I, I didn't buy any of that stuff. Did you buy any of those things? No, no. And I don't think this, the, the dialogue, whether Branna penned it or, uh, you know, wrote his own lines or improvised or whatever or not, I don't think anything about the dialogue works. Um, I did kind of like, I mean, they talk about the special effects, like maybe they were not utilized for good purposes or whatever but i thought the effects kind of held up okay i did not at all i yeah. mean and you know i hate to bring it back to independence day but i remember when we were talking about that and we're like it still looks good all these right. years later right i was like man this is just green screen city here i didn't i didn't think the effects worked at all and i was like where did this money go right right well i mean it went to what was i'm sure at the time cutting edge special effects but i i thought they looked they looked i think i was expecting them to look so terrible that i was like oh these are fine like these look as good as effects that I would expect in a current so blockbuster. You had such low expectations. The fact that they didn't meet it made it so that you were okay. And I disagree. I think like if I watched the Avengers, the effects are much better than. Something. Yeah. Yeah. But something like one level down from the Avengers, a lot of modern blockbusters, you, like you still think, prey. you know, like where did the money go? Like, yeah, like these, birds of prey. I get, Oh yeah. This is uh, just another movie that Jason hates for some reason. I hate birds of prey. Yeah. Which I quite enjoyed. Uh, and I don't remember thinking the special effects were bad. Well, that's that one level down. That's true. Level. True. I'm just saying that like, you know, movies where they spent a lot of money, but maybe not Avengers money. You're like, what, what did they spend the effects money on here? So you didn't think that in this movie. I mean, I didn't think it any more so than in a modern movie. Okay, I definitely did. I thought, um, you know, I don't think a lot of those effects held up. I don't think that spider was menacing at all. No, the spider's just silly. You know, um, the train, I think, could have, um, which, you know, uh, here's the thing. Let's save it, because I have, right. I actually have a point on this. Oh, Jason has wait. a point. We'll get to it later. Yeah, uh, so to answer your question, no, I had never seen it before. No, I never want to watch it again. Okay. <laughs> um, and I was sort of surprised that I'd never seen this, because 
it's so notorious. And I mean, and I saw a lot, I think you and I both saw, you know, lots of big summer movies at this time, whether they were good or bad. What a great year for movies besides this and a few other things. But like, yeah, I was in the movie theater all the time, summer of 99. Yeah. And I don't remember my impression. Like, did I want to see this? And then I heard it was bad. And so I didn't. I, I don't recall any impressions of this movie from the time, but I did not see it. So Dave, did you? Surprisingly, I hadn't either. And I haven't seen any like, uh, of course, I love Independence Day. But then the the Men in Black movies, this I don't know. I just had like this blind spot. You never seen the Men in Black movies? Not until recently. What do you know? Will Smith. I don't know. I love him. Yeah. But for some reason, I missed these movies. Yeah. Well, the first Men in Black is a lot of fun. The second and third ones, less so. Yeah. Yeah. First one's very good. Second one, tolerable. Third one, I don't. No, see, I, I would reverse that. And I would say the second one is terrible and the third one is tolerable. All right. I'll but, go with that, too. I don't even remember if I even saw the third one. Yeah, I only saw the third one to catch up with years later. Right. But um, Don't forget, they were going to make a Men in Black 21 Jump Street crossover at one point. So yeah, although I don't know, would happen. that have been the with the new Men in Black? Uh, characters from oh, the right. most recent movie though well that's number four isn't it yeah that's the fourth one was so that I, anything? I don't know that was really bad um I yeah i forgot but, that existed yeah with chris uh hemsworth and mm-hmm. tessa thompson yeah um anyway that's really not relevant here so <laughs> nothing's really relevant <laughs> we'll, we'll come back and get into more of jason's hatred for wild wild west Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In this episode of our season on the films of 1999, we are torturing Jason with the box office flop, Wild Wild West. Yeah. And uh, yeah, just just, just let us have it. What, well, give us some more hatred yeah, here. I'm going to keep spitting this fire at it, Josh. You well, go for well, it. Well, no, I did say I wanted to talk about Sonnenfeld, right? Yeah. Because I think he, and maybe this was like kind of the end for him, right? But he had a good run and he had some like not just good movies. He made some great movies, right? Like I like Get Shorty. I get it. Some people don't like it, but it's a very clever, fun movie. I love Get Shorty. Okay, good. Then we all love Get Shorty. There's no doubt Adam's Family and Adam's Family Values are like not only great, they still hold up. Talk about movies that hold up. I've watched them very recently. And when I talk about like the effects and the fight scenes in here, and I'm thinking back to like, what he was able to accomplish in Adam's family values with like the Thanksgiving play at the end, which is like one of the great sequences on film of the last 30 years and all the kind of cool moody sets that he's able to do and set pieces, the dances. How do you go from that to this? Like sometimes you need those parameters, right? To unlock your creativity. If you have access to everything, maybe you're getting nothing, but where you know, the things that hold you back are able to, you know, make you create in different ways. And I just think like this was just maybe like here, have a blank check and do whatever you want. And he wasn't on the same level of just, you know, cutting edge creativity, just forward thinking with this. Yeah, I remember at the time Sonnenfeld. And this is why, again, it sort of surprises me that I didn't see this because I loved those movies at the time. I loved those Adams Family movies. I loved Get Shorty. Um, I really liked the first men in black. That was also before this. Um, and it seemed to me at the time that he had this sort of synthesis of this big popular blockbuster special effects style with this 
clever sense of humor. Like he was, yes. you know, Tim Burton meets the Coen brothers or something. And, and I, I was all in at, at that time. If you had asked me in, you know, 1998, absolutely. He would have been one of my favorites. And, and I don't know, because you're right. Not only is this movie bad, but it's the end for him, essentially. Like he's really never gotten back to the level of quality that he had in those early films. Um, and I don't know if it's like you're saying that freedom of here, you now have this massive budget to do whatever you want. I mean, I think there probably are a lot of parameters here, whether it's from the screenplay that was rewritten a million times. Yeah, well, that's where the problem starts here, right? Sure. But, you know, that's something that he's got to follow or whether it's crazy producer John Peters demanding things of him um, or it's Will Smith is now a huge star and has to do huge star things. I mean, I, I doubt that it's his Sonnenfeld with total freedom. Well, maybe or maybe not. In the end, it's his stamp right on there, right? Sure, so, sure. You know, and you look back at those Haddams Family movies and... Dude, those scripts, dude, they're so funny to this day. I just hit the chair to make a point. <laughs> yeah. I just clap back uh, at this movie. Um, but no, but they're still so funny and incisive. And it's like, he clearly had an eye for material because we're talking about Get Shorty 2, right? And uh, not Get Not Shorty don't talk too. about Get Shorty 2, which is really, really bad. Yeah, be, be cool. Yeah, right. It's horrible. But I mean, and you look at Get Shorty and you're like, whoa, this is Travolta had gone from Pulp Fiction to this and he's doing something different and interesting. And I just think, I don't know how, uh, it, unless there was just so much money thrown, not just at the project, but at him, like at some point, aren't you just like, man, this is not a good screenplay i don't know how we're gonna make this yeah i mean i don't know and i'm not sure if he's talked about that in you know subsequent years or whatever if so i didn't i didn't find anything on it but i i don't know and it's possible that maybe he thought well i can make it work maybe i'll get will smith and we'll pull in these special effects and we'll we'll make it work it's just crazy to me because i'm thinking raul julia i'm thinking like we said travolta will smith and he's got these great leading men who do stuff. And then you think of Angelica Houston as Morticia Adams, right? And uh, who's the female lead in Get Short? Renee Russo Renee is Russo, so good right? in that movie. Yeah, That's she's great. Yeah. And it's like, man, these characters have depth and they have a little edge to them and they have points of view. And it's like, can you give me any point of view of any female character in this movie? Right. Yeah. I mean, and and but you, what you're saying there was like, oh, he had these great leading men or these great actors to work with. Like, Will Smith is great. Kevin that, Klein is great. Kenneth Branagh is like, right. they, they, they are and that's can That's what be. I mean. And Selma Hayek is a very good actress also, right? right. Like, Frida, something like that, you know? Um, but that's what I mean. Like, how, how, that's what I'm saying, right? He had all this there. Right. And it was just like one miss after the next, after the next. Cause like, dude, Kevin Klein's got some great movies behind him. Will sure. Smith has totally fallen off, but I think is on the comeback now. And like, he had some great movies there, you know? And sure. It, and with Sonnenfeld, you know, they worked right. together on men in black to, to great effect. So, right. but I, what I think is that all of that stuff you're saying maybe is the reason why he's on board. He's like, Hey, I got Will Smith. Look at how well we worked together right. before. And Kevin Klein is great. And Kenneth Branagh is great. Like, of course I'm going to make this work somehow. Well, and you it just think, didn't. So, so, so maybe I'm going too hard on him. Do we just chalk it up to an entire, but I, it always starts with the script. We know that, right? Right. right. Very, it's very rare. Not to say it's impossible, but if there's not a good script, like it's 
almost impossible to make a good movie. Yeah, and this is a script that went through, I mean, I think there's five writers credited and Lord knows how many uncredited writers there are and whether they rewrote it on uh, on set like Noel Murray speculates in his review. Yeah, it's a mess. Now, originally the story was from Jim and John Thomas, the guys from Predator, the guys who wrote Predator, and even they said like, we don't know what this is. Like, this is not what we pitched or anything like that. Right. Right. You know? Right. So it just, um, yeah, it just, it, it, it's everything that could be bad is bad in this movie. Like I don't have a redeeming quality of it. Do you think any of it is genre? Because like the steampunky kind of sci-fi Western thing, it just doesn't work. Yeah. Ever. And that was something I was going to mention in the legacy, but for some reason that's a genre that Hollywood is like, what if we threw more money at it? It'll <laughs> right. work this time. Yeah. And you can look at later movies like Cowboys and Aliens sure. and The Lone Ranger, two other like extremely notorious flops that are in this same genre. So, but on the other hand, there was a hugely successful TV series in this genre that they were basing it on. So there's a, mm. a, a track record of it working. It is interesting because, uh, you know, steampunk is so specific, right? And I mean, this is 99. Well, what's the other big, huge movie of 99 we haven't talked about? Yet? I mean, a lot of them. This is only the, the fourth Matrix, ep- episode right? of the, the season. Matrix, right? yeah. The Matrix, which is like steampunk futuristic in a it's way. Not st- the Matrix is not steampunk. They wear black leather jackets. That's that. It's yeah. No, the Matrix is the Matrix is cyberpunk. I, not I'm cyberpunk, just picturing Jason sure. showing yeah. up to a steampunk like party night in a leather jacket. Yeah, no, Jason. Jason. <laughs> I wear uh, the goggles. Uh, and the hat yeah, the goggles like and the that. hat. Okay, yeah. You can't. Can, can steampunk be futuristic or does it have to be? It's retro futuristic. It's 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 like this it's futuristic elements in a past context with steam power not electricity what's your favorite steampunk movie i don't know um i'm not sure i was gonna say sky captain in the world of tomorrow but that's a good movie that's that's like diesel punk more than steampunk (laughs) if you really want to get into it but that is a great movie and is super underrated that i I watched again really recently um the hybrid punk movies that are you know part steam power and part electrical battery that you charge. Right. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of nuances there, but I think one of the things with steampunk is that I don't know that it's really a movie thing. You know, there's a lot of steampunk like comic books and, and novels and stuff like that, but I don't know that it's really, or maybe I'm, I'm just forgetting something. But I don't know that it's really gone that well. And Hugo, I love Hugo, Martin Scorsese. I'm just, I just pulled up a you steampunk, just steampunk list. Uh, list. Well, on I'm going the... through it. I'm not reading all of them. I'm just okay. reading the ones I like. Yeah. Uh, what's the uh, Howl's Moving Castle? That's pretty good. Is that really a steampunk thing? I think that's kind of steampunk. All right. But maybe not. But I'm looking at this list and it's like, Wild Wild West is number eight on the best steampunk. Right. Well, I mean, I think that's the thing is that like it hasn't it's not something that's been super well realized. The Rocketeer is fun. But again, that's more like Sky Captain is in that same time period. And that's more diesel than steam. But um, Peter Jackson produced flop was kind of steampunky. Oh, that was horrible. Oh, the Mortal Engines. Yeah, it was kind of. Yeah, that is really bad. Um, well, yeah, Brazil is good. I mean, I think it's like, it depends on how you define the genre. You love Baron Munchausen. I do. Yeah. You could call that steampunk. Anyway, I suppose. I'm just saying it's a, it's a, it's in, in general, a tough thing to pull off. Right. No, no, no. I agree. And I think, so you can say that, oh yeah, they missed the mark on it, but maybe this is something that just hasn't been translated to movies well yet, yeah. or maybe will well, be ever. I mean, Josh, 
had aliens ever been translated to movies before Men in Black? No, 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 no. So, they really, they were really revolutionary with yeah. that whole concept. No, it's a bummer because, like, yeah, I mean, you know, we we do talk about directors and streaks they were on, and he was on such a hot streak. And it's like, even after this, you want to be like, hey, bro, you know, dust off. Like, remember, remember who you used to be. And it's like, you know, he's more he moved into more producing stuff, but I don't think. Uh, He's really directed anything since after this that's memorable, right? Well, I mean, we can talk about that later, but he did direct two more Men in Black movies after this, and whether you liked them or not, they were both even, successful. I didn't even remember them, clearly. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it does seem like this movie in some ways kind of broke him. So yeah, there was um, this thing that I read, the original climax of this movie, the act three, where they're fighting inside the giant spider. And, you know, there's this whole scene where like they drop Will Smith to the second level and he fights knife guy and you know giant man and uh and frizzy hair or whatever right the random hench people that <laughs> yeah, we've never no, no seen before yeah, yeah. Uh, oil stain right don't forget he fights him and right you know eye patch and you know mm. um uh cauliflower ear all yeah. these guys and you're joking but like the female <laughs> could have been right the, the female like henchmen have literally have names that are just their functions right and this is where i'm going with it. the original Act three didn't have that sequence. It was just those two fighting famed actress Frederic Vanderval and the other females. And the audience was like, What? Why are they just fighting these women who have never served any purpose in this movie before? You know? And so they put this other sequence in, and it's like, Oh, now I have two bad sequences. Right. I was going to say, at least the women have been established in previous <laughs> scenes as like working for Dr. Loveless. And that is one of his characteristics going back to the show is that he has all these like beautiful women who flock to him and, and, and are like drawn in by his charisma or something and do his bidding. Well, I mean, clearly like, you know, look, female assassins are a huge trope in film. And, yeah. you know, we can we can name 20 good movies right now without having to look up lists of, <laughs> of them. Right. But like uh, these female assassins have no. They even have any lines? Maybe Frederic has like one line. Uh, yeah, I mean, but and if they do have lines, it's just like, oh, Dr. Loveless, we have to do this yeah. now or something. Yes, Dr. Loveless, I will kill him after I make you a pie and get pregnant with your baby. Right. No, it's 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 <laughs> terrible. And I mean, if you wanted to be charitable to this, you could argue that that is sort of on purpose, that these women are almost like enslaved by him and Salma Hayek's character is resisting that obviously he wants her to join him and she refuses. And so that's her sort of strength as a character. And I don't think any of that comes across, but yeah, maybe that's she, what they're trying. No. And the, the whole thing with her and it's like, we have to save my father. And then it's like, I'm just kidding, fellas. It, it's my husband. And they're, they're like, what? Let's wink at each other. And then, right. I mean, the idea that she was like, I knew you wouldn't actually help me unless you thought right. you could sleep with me. So right. I had to lie to you. <laughs> exactly. You two men, always doing man stuff like using women only to sleep with and not helping them because there's an actual human being that's valuable to society that needs help. Right. And yet you kind of get the impression that that is true about these characters. I, I, I mean, look, I can see it definitely with the Will Smith character. I think the Kevin Klein character is a little more like he would just go on any adventure type thing, but the Will Smith character is definitely, let's say, uh, a dig. Okay, there you go. <laughs> but you know, let's talk about something else that just worked horribly in this movie. And Dave, uh, it kind of maybe goes back to what you're saying of like, how come this didn't work and how come something else did? How about the scenes where Loveless 
and Jim West are having verbal tete-a-tetes where Loveless is making horribly offensive jokes about Will Smith's family being slaves and him being black. And to return the favor, Jim West just makes horribly offensive remarks about Loveless being like uh, only half a body at this point in time. Right? Yeah, it's like a real double whammy of like racism and, you know, like ableism. Yeah, uh, punching down, punching down, punching right, down, right? Right, right. And like, I am, a, as everyone knows, I think anything is um, inbounds in comedy. But man, if you're going to take shots, you better make those shots count. And this is just so unlikable and horrible on both their parts. Like, at that point in time, I could have just been like, okay, I'm done with this movie. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like, like the vulgar humor or the sort of gay panic humor. It's an effort that just falls flat. The idea that, okay... Well, we cast Will Smith and and as you know, you always like to talk about, there were other people originally considered for this role who were white guys. And so that was not beep, 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 <laughs> doot, doot. alternative casting on awesome movie here. Uh, here's who we had there, Josh. Uh, originally, it was developed for, uh, well, this could have been really awesome. I actually think Shane Black was going to write the screenplay. Richard Donner, who directed three episodes of the yeah. original series was going to direct it and uh pre crazy racist in public Mel Gibson was going to be the star, you know? Right. And they, I don't know about Shane Black, but Donner and Gibson went on to make Maverick, which is a similar kind of movie that I haven't seen. But when Richard Donner died recently, there was a whole outpouring of love for that movie. I saw it. I didn't like it at the time, but I, sh but you know, that's, I was, I saw it in the theater when I was a teenager and I bet if I went back and watched it, but Donner, as we know, like we've discussed him before so many iconic films it's tough to like you know break through to the top when you have like goonies in the lethal weapon franchise. right well and obviously he's shown that he can take on that kind of action comedy and make it work totally and jokes that involve pointing out the differences of people and their ethnicities and their skin colors and actually making them likable towards each other right you know so then yeah then it was gonna be tom cruise and he did mission impossible Good choice, fella. Yes. And then it was going to be, uh, then Will Smith signed on. And so the names that they were going to pair with him, George Clooney, who backed out because he was like, I'm playing a second lead, not a lead. McConaughey, who I think would have brought some charm to that. That could have been role, fun. Right? Yeah. Johnny Depp and who I, you know. And then he went on to do it later with the Lone Ranger. <laughs> right. And then Tim Curry, who would have been good, but was he like, they probably you know, he wasn't of the star. Not, yeah, power. right. Not a big enough star. And of course, Josh, do I even have to, if Selma Hayek got the part in the, in the late 90s, do I even have to have mentioned the other women who were up for the part? Oh, the other women? Yeah. Uh, I mean, was it uh, Penelope Cruz? Yep. And <laughs> name your other Latina actress that we could cast. Jennifer Lopez? Yes, yeah. Oh, man, wow. that is really sad that I could wow. do that. That's all true. I'm not kidding you, right? So... Yeah, so that's where this movie was going. So in a way, it was already off course before it got there. Of course, this is more of a legacy thing, but uh, Will Smith uh, turned down the Matrix for this movie. Yeah, so, but my point getting back is that when they cast Will Smith, as opposed to Tom Cruise or right. Mel Gibson, it was like, okay, now this changes yeah. the dynamic. He's black, so now that's all. Right. Well, I mean, yeah. to be fair, if you set the movie in 1869, yes. you kind of have to address it in some way. Oh I, oh, I agree with you. I think that's totally fair. And I actually think like, okay, maybe they mentioned uh, like there was that massacre that happened and his family was all massacred. And I'm like, right. oh, 
well, they were black and they were slaves. And like, you could actually build on this as like how horrible this person had it and why he is fighting for the things he's fighting for. But it was just so clunky and it never really amounted to anything. Yeah. And the jokes where he kind of jokes about like, ha ha, look at all you white people are so racist. Like, or or plays on that like when they're gonna lynch him so heavy-handed and right? and just just really like off base and tasteless and and you know you have to wonder if like other than will smith was there a black person involved in the making of this movie like did anyone look at it and say you know what let's give this another pass it, just to kind of it's see interesting if it- because like dave and i have talked you know when we talk about mel brooks we talk about blazing saddles and the stuff that Blazing Saddles was making fun of in 1975, I feel like this movie is actually trying to do like in real in real time in 1999. Yeah, it's just it's just misguided in every way. Can, can we mention one other thing that's horribly misguided? Sure. Right? We uh, the MacGuffin of uh, Dave, you know what a MacGuffin is? I know what a yeah, MacGuffin is. Come on, is. don't be so. No, I'm not being I'm not. Being, I'm, not I'm just asking. Dave, do you know I'm what a the, movie I'm the is? Audience. I know what a He's movie is. He's the audience. That's right. why audience. I'm asking. Yeah, all right, all right. Yeah. All right. yeah. <laughs> A MacGuffin and like a red herring. It takes you to somewhere else. I, I didn't mean it towards you. I know you're very <laughs> film literate. I was using you as like an audience. Hey, audience. Right. right. So like, yes. So you're setting this whole. So, you know, like, uh, you know, the most famous MacGuffin is uh, Vivian Lee in, uh, in uh, that movie Psycho. Yeah. Have you ever heard of that movie Psycho? Yeah, I, I, right? I think so. Yeah. Right. So we follow her and it just leads her to Norman Bates. Yeah. That's the real story. Right. There, right? right. So this whole thing, the, the whole first quarter first half almost is like we're gonna get bloodbath mcgrath right right? yes the general played by ted levine right and um you know in the end he is just doing again the bidding of loveless loveless kills him so you don't even get that like satisfaction of like the good guy killing him and then he's like yeah it wasn't me anyway it was loveless this whole time and it's just like why did we just waste half the movie on? This? Yeah, because we need a story or whatever. But right. And that goes to that personal connection where Jim West is like this general ordered the massacre that killed my family. And, you right. know, I'm traumatized by it. And at least the general is like representative of the Confederacy and the war and something real that we can kind of grasp onto. But then it's like, no, he was just doing the orders of this crazy megalomaniac villain who has no basis in reality whatsoever. Right. And then am I, wasn't there a thing in this movie, Josh? I feel like I'm right. It's kind of what you were talking about in that, in the sixties where the, uh, where he was like, he wants to give the land back. Right. And in this one, didn't, didn't uh, Loveless say, I want to split the land between all these countries and the Native Americans? And it was supposed to be like, I'm going to give part of the land to the British, boo, to the Spanish, boo, and the Native American. How comes no one's booing when I want to give land back to the Native yeah, Americans? Yeah, like, it was yeah. just, I think he just wanted to give them Manhattan, like the island of Manhattan, and yeah. that was it. <laughs> just so bad, man. So. Yeah, his motives don't make a whole lot of sense. And of course, what he really wants is to take most of the land for himself. So, you know, he is still this selfish villain. But, yeah. Um, yeah, maybe maybe that was their nod to the motivation initially for Loveless's first appearance in the show. I don't know, but it does not come across. Well, Josh, we've uh, we've talked. About yeah, we got to. Yeah, movie, I think you know? we're uh, we're at um, the end here. Let's rate this out of uh, five, five mechanical spiders. Well, that's the easy one. I was going to say five fuck yous. No, I wasn't going to say that. Five uh, hilarious cross-dressing pretend prostitutes who are really men, but they're in dresses. 
And that's why it's funny, Josh. Mm-hmm. We don't go to that. I think there's more than five of those in the movie. <laughs> I give it a one and a half. All right. I'm sort of surprised you gave it that many considering. I how... give it one. All right. Well, one. it gets you, one you for can... me. All right. I'm going to give it two because it's a bad movie. But I mean, I didn't have this like visceral hatred for it that you did. So, one. Dave? <laughs> I, I joked on Letterboxd that it's a two and a half movie that is raised to three because of the song. So that's where I'm at. Three. Amazing. You think yeah. it's that It's a two good? and a half. It's not good, but I had some fun with it. The song is garbage, too. The song rules. The song is, I mean, <laughs> I, I would, it's somewhere between garbage and rules, yes, I think. That's fair. <laughs> so we'll come back in a moment and talk about the legacy of Wild Wild West. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year in this episode of our season on the films of 1999. We've been talking about Jason's favorite film of all time, Wild Wild West, our box office flop pick. And I mean, I think starting legacy wise, because we we talked a bit about this, uh, Barry Sonnenfeld, this really kind of tanked his career. Yeah, I can't think of, you know, like you said, he did the two other Men in Black sequels. And they were the second one was a success. You said the third one. I was think too. both of them were successes financially. To me, the second movie is not really that good as a movie, and the third one comes back a bit. That's the one where they travel back in time, and Tommy Lee Jones isn't in it as much. It's Josh right. Josh Brolin as the young version of his character, and it's it's fun. It's not great, but it's fun. But you would think that this would like allow him back out of you know director's jail or whatever. Right, right. Point. But it seemed like he was only allowed back to do the Men in Black movies. Right. Um. I mean, look, he is producing um a lot of stuff. And I know you like Schmigadoon. I haven't yeah. started that yet. And he's an exec producer on he that. Di- he directed every episode of Schmigadoon. Well, and that, that to me is the best thing he's done since the first Men in Black movie. Right. He did a series of unfortunate events and just really like nothing except like TV pilots. Right. Or- TV stuff he's done all right with. But other than Men in Black, I mean, I haven't seen these movies, but all almost all I think notorious failures RV with Robin Williams yeah. and big trouble, which was about a, a plot to bomb an airplane that came out like right at nine 11 and uh, nine lives with Kevin Spacey turning into a cat. I mean, these are some notorious <laughs> failures on multiple levels. Can I just tell you the fact that Kevin Spacey didn't turn into a cat in wild, wild west is a really missed opportunity. <laughs> like could, that could just be like, we got to have a giant spider mechanical in act three. And also I called Kevin Spacey. He'll turn into a cat for us. <laughs> yeah. I haven't seen that movie, but I feel like that is another one of those movies where people are like, you have to watch this because you'll never believe that it exists. Well, that I could, that, that yes, we should do that at some point in time. But uh, look, I'm very happy that he's back. And like you said, directing, oh, yeah, and producing Schmigadoon. Schmigadoon is great. I totally recommend watching and, it. And maybe like he'll get it. We know the Adams family is being rebooted with the Tim Burton Wednesday series and everything everything so maybe you know this new relationship he has with apple tv plus um will give him a chance to direct something like that's not 170 million for them that could be a good movie you know i i hope i want to think that he still has it in him and watching schmigadoon to me that is is what i was hoping for from him where it's that combination of big colorful pop blockbuster style with the clever humor yeah did you know Barry Sonnenfeld, because um, he used to be a director of photography, did you know he shot porn for uh, a while? I did not. I knew he worked with the Coen brothers. Yeah. And he said he, uh, after he was uh, done lensing porn, he wasn't able to get an erection for six months. 
because well, of how uh, unpleasant that yeesh. was. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk about Will Smith, who, um, <laughs> you know, was on the hot streak here. And it, this it, it hurt him a bit. Um, I was interesting to me that, like, he kind of ran away from the blockbusters a little bit after this. His next movies were, you know, serious drama. He made The Legend of Bagger Vance and then Ali, which I think he got an Did he get an Oscar nomination for that? He yeah. did get one. And he's great. That's a good movie. That's Michael Mann. That's what we want to see. Right. Right. But I think that was him being like, OK, I need to switch gears and show my serious side. And then he finally went back and did Men in Black 2 in 2002 and now he seems in a position where he can go back and forth well, between those things. Well, I don't think he's really done I mean, look, I don't think he's done anything memorable that I can think of in the last you know, decade or so to be honest with you. Like I mean, I know he's done some serious movies, but I don't think any of them at least for me broke through. Yeah, there's some know? of those serious movies that he's done where he just gets to the point where he takes himself too seriously. Right. And we've talked about After Earth and everything like Oh that. yeah. But what I was happy about and like like you know, the new Bad Boys blah blah blah, making bright too. Oof. So like there's all this crap. Yeah. But I was what I was happy about is I did look up his what he's doing next. And I'm like, whoa, there's some good stuff coming. Well, out he's got here. that biopic about the Venus and Serena yes. Williams dad that's coming. And soon. And he looks like he's going to be great in that movie. Right. I, I hope so. I hope so, too. And that's actually probably going to be out by the time this is released. I uh, think, maybe. So. I think it's a little later in the yeah. fall. So not probably not quite, All right. but well, soon. So there's that. There's a movie called Emancipation that sounded good. And then The Council, which sounded really good to me, which is about seven African-American men who ruled Harlem in like a crime syndicate type thing in the 70s. And he plays Mr. Untouchable Nicky Barnes. Like that could be awesome, I think. So I'm happy to see like, OK, he went back and did blockbusters and that'll always be there. But I want to see more of this stuff. Yeah, I hope so. And I think we might have we talked about him and all this stuff in our Independence Day episode. But I might have mentioned in terms of more recent stuff that I think that movie he made with Margot Robbie, Focus, where they play like con one. artists. Yeah. And that's also uh, Requa and Fakara. We might have talked about it when we talked about Bad Santa. They wrote and directed it. That movie is a lot of fun and I think underrated. I have to check that out. Um, Kevin Klein, I think, you know, man, he's been he's been in the pop cultural zeitgeist since the big chill since 83. Right. Yeah. And he just kind of like this is a rare like he's not in a lot of like big blockbuster movies where he plays a major role. So, yeah, he just kind of kept on rolling with what he does after this. Well, yeah, I mean, the big chill, a fish called Wanda, you know, well, you know, what was a big hit was uh, which I think was a surprise hit, especially for the time was in and out the Frank Oz movie. Yeah. Was that after this? I think that was 90 probably before this. Yeah. Um, but I wonder how that holds up because that was treating someone coming out of the closet right. with um, a comedic but like uh, like reverential tone. And now I wonder if it just feels like a lot of, you know, outdated gay jokes. Yeah, it might. I haven't seen that in Dave. a while. Dave, of course, yeah. well, is, you know, and uh, in this movie, he also plays the president as well as someone impersonating the president. So there's a real connection. There. Yeah, that's true. Um, he's got a bunch of stuff coming out some of it looks good i sent a preview to you of uh a movie was that the starling i sent you to uh, a movie to the melissa mccarthy movie oh that's coming up on netflix yeah Yeah. and he's in that and he plays like kind of like the crotchety veterinarian who's like going to be her therapist and he looks good in that the craziest one that i saw and this is just wild is there's a movie called the diary about a man from hong kong in the 1930s who leaves hong kong to go to europe to reconnect with his like lost love written and directed by jackie chan 
a drama. I think, Interesting. So. Yeah. And that I, with, with Kevin Klein, I don't think he's the lead, but I think he's like a supporting player, yeah. but I'm like, I can't think. Have we seen that from Jackie Chan? Before? I'm not that. I think he has directed, but only like martial arts movies. Right. But that's what I mean. Like yeah. something written and directed. That sounds like a very straightforward drama. That sounds interesting to me. Yeah. So I wanted to mention, as I alluded to, like Kenneth Branagh, sure, known for directing and starring in Shakespearean films and also has directed a lot of blockbusters right. in more recent He's years. He's killing it right now. He's very successful, even though I'm not sure that I think those movies are good. You're I talking mean, about Murder on the Orient Express. Well, there's, yeah, Death there's... on the Nile There's out. those, yeah. And uh, I mean, he also directed Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit. He directed the Cinderella remake for Disney. Yeah. He did direct Artemis Fowl, which could be the box office flop episode <laughs> Of, of 2020 well hey uh i mean dude that hamlet th that, that he did that four hour hamlet i remember watching like the mel gibson hamlet which was like you know two hour movie and then i watched this four hour hamlet i went to the theater in the gold coast where you watch two hours and the gold coast doesn't exist anymore as a theater it would be like our indie theater in a casino right you watch two hours there's a real intermission then you watch the next two hours that is mind-blowingly like uh, an achievement that movie is incredible wow i'll have to i think i saw the mel gibson one like in high school in a class eh, it's but eh, but like this one is like holy cow like a, a real achievement of film yeah i did just want to say though that he has this you know sort of side gig doing these hammy villain roles maybe none of them to the level of this but if you see him in Harry Potter, especially in the Jack Ryan movie that he directed, where he plays this like Russian villain with this awful accent, and even in Tenet recently, like he kind of likes doing the ridiculous villain. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, there's a thing he's doing called Discrepted Isle, which is going to be like one of those British miniseries that I like love those things. But I want to recommend a movie that I bet you guys haven't seen that he directed. Peter's friends from like 92 about like an improv troupe from like college that gets back together to like have a party or reunion, like 10 years later, co-written by Rita Rudner. And I think her husband Peter's friends is a great movie from the early nineties that I highly recommend. Yeah. I haven't seen that. So, and also let's, like I said, let's give a little love to Salma Hayek who's having quite a year. I mean, Hitman's wife's bodyguard, forget that, but like <laughs> she's in eternals house of Gucci coming up like she's got some good stuff coming out i think again and i definitely recommend frida yeah yeah she's i mean she's very talented in this movie totally wastes her talents and yes. she's she's yeah it's a shame but um, i think she's like she's doing this thing where she's like hey i'm aging and i'm gonna play characters who are age appropriate and i'm gonna be very good in them and like that's awesome like we don't you know, it seems like there are more uh, roles for women who are getting older now, we hope, right? Yeah, we hope. And she's certainly in a position where she can pick what roles that she wants to take. So that's good. I just find John Peters kind of fascinating. You know, he is one of these like only in Hollywood crazy people, including his recent uh, 12 day marriage to Pamela Anderson. I realize that's not actually part of the legacy <laughs> of this movie, but just just I mean, you know, and he's one of these people that I feel like he sort of stumbled into Hollywood and and made some accidentally good business moves. Falling upwards. Yeah, like buying the rights to Superman back when nobody wanted the rights to Superman. And now he's contractually obligated to be credited as a producer on every Superman movie. When was that? 
Um, well, I think it was in the eighties that he bought the rights. Really? So um, how much older is he than Pamela Anderson? Oh, quite a lot. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. He, he dated Barbara Streisand in the seventies. He's a, but again, it's because of that, he was a producer on her version of a star is born and thus was obligated to be credited as a producer on the star is born remake. Yeah. He's credited as a producer on Superman returns, the Brian Singer film, as well as on man of steel, the most recent. Superman movie that supposedly he was banned from the set because of his horrible uh, contributions. Do you have any more like awesome stories about him? For us? Uh, no, I mean, the fact that Christopher Nolan banned him from the set of Man of Steel uh, is is about all I've got. But yeah, the the Pamela Anderson thing is the most recent one. Then they did not they did not file their marriage certificate. So the marriage was so, not uh, ever no. legal. And then they broke up 12 days later. Which was Man of Steel? Is that that was the Zack Snyder film, the first oh, okay. Zack Snyder oh, film. Christopher Nolan produced it. Yeah, he produced yeah. it. And so as producer, he made the decision that this guy who is technically a producer, uh, but presumably didn't contribute anything creatively, but was like, I'm going to come hang out. And he was like, oh, no, We're you are not. You not to, yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> um, well, that's cool. I do want to mention one more person who, yeah. is, who is definitely awesome and not not awesome was Elmore Bernstein, the guy who did the music here, uh, you know, who has Oscars for Thoroughly Modern Millie, 1967. Remember that year, Josh? Oh, yeah. And uh, he's got 14 Oscar nominations. He's got two Golden Globes, an Emmy, and two Grammy uh, nods, so like two Tony nods. Like, he's done a ton of great music throughout the years, including... <laughs> The music for Slapshot 19. All right. And and the music here, even though I know you hate the song, the, the, music, the, score, the score is, is not, good. Yes, the score is that's good. What I, and that's yeah. what I'm talking about. Yeah. So that's all I have to say because I am actually ending on a high note. All right. Well, then let's do that. That is Wild Wild West. And that is this episode of Awesome Movie Year. Uh, let's continue the conversation about this brilliant film on social media. Yeah. And please, if someone wants to defend it, we please, we welcome that. And yeah. Tell us where we're wrong. Uh, yeah, we're on social media. I'm Jason Harris Comedy on Facebook and Instagram. Jay Harris Comedy on Twitter. And uh, go for Jason.com, uh, a website from 1869. <laughs> Not very good. AwesomeMovieYear.com, straightforward. It works. Hooray. Uh, awesome Movie Year on Facebook and Instagram. Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter. I am at Josh Bell. It's everything.com where I wrote a series of posts about the Men in Black movies uh, once. And uh, Josh Bell hates everything on Facebook and at Signal Bleed on Twitter. And check out our producer. Wait, congrats. let's congratulate him. 200 episodes of piecing it together. Yeah, that's hey. a way to go. And the 200th episode was that weird Glenn Danzig vampire Western movie. It so sure was, yeah. Thematically appropriate with what we're talking about here. <laughs> uh, so yeah, check out uh, David Rosen's Piecing It Together podcast. Yes, find it wherever you listen to podcasts and follow us on social media at PiecingPod. So Jason, hopefully you'll be uh, more excited about what uh, we have coming up in our next episode. Yes, Josh, it's a very depressing film that didn't <laughs> depress me nearly as much as Wild Wild was it won the con palm d'or that's not an accent no but it's our palm d'or winner of 1999 a film called rosetta a belgian and french kind of collaboration so tune in next time for rosetta and thanks for listening to awesome movie year thank you for listening to awesome movie year make sure to follow awesome movie year on facebook at awesome movie pod on twitter and at awesome movie year on instagram and if you like the show, review us and rate us with five stars on Apple Podcasts. An All Points West production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas. 
Yeesh. Someone's hard on this man. Movie. <laughs> 